Hello, g'day and welcome. I'm Party Parslow and in this episode of Party in China, we pick up my story after the first few weeks of my time in Ganyu, which is in Lianyungang, which is in Jiangsu, which is in eastern China, on the coast of the Yellow Sea. Spoiler alert, it isn't really yellow. On the evening of my first day off after our day at the beach, I was trying to count how many white-pointed red rings made up my nasty new rash when insistent knocking and incomprehensible yelling came from the front door. I opened up to find an ageing Chinese man who pushed past me, went into my bathroom and, from my viewpoint in the lounge, appeared to put his head in my toilet for 10 or 20 seconds. After he left, I went for a look myself and realised that he'd been reading the water meter, which was on the floor between the toilet bowl and the wall. It was inside a small wooden box, which I'd thought was a shelf for my bathroom book. In Diang, the bills for our water, gas and electricity had been subsidised by the school. 100 yuan a month, 200 in winter to help with the heating. But in Ganyu, all those expenses came out of my pocket. Just another little something not mentioned in the recruitment process. An hour or so after the meter reader, just as I was thinking about going to bed, there erupted more knocking and yelling. This time I threw open the front door with a welcoming, what the f*** is it now? It was an Irishman which surprised me. Not only the first white fellow I'd seen there, but a cultural compatriot to boot. John found it funny to bang on people's doors and pretend to be a police raid, but in every other respect was a fine friend. He'd been there a couple of years already, so could speak the language pretty well, knew lots of people and places to go, and was far from averse to an occasional jar. More than merely occasional, actually. It was John who introduced me to my first Ganyu bar. Don't know if it had a name, but it was on a boat on the river with one large cabin containing a few tables and a small counter with a couple of stools at one end. John's mum and sister were visiting him and we had a very pleasant evening, if a tad bizarre, in that the conversation belonged more to an Irish pub than a Chinese barge. The spirits were counterfeit, but I drank whiskey anyway because a couple of Chinese guys were buying in return for English practice. There was no toilet on board, but they'd constructed a wooden privy nearby on a platform overhanging the river. I imagine it was just a hole in the floor to provide easy access to the water below, but never found out because as I descended the rickety wooden steps, one snapped beneath me and I was stuck with one leg still up the stairs and the other dangling down towards the river. Fortunately, the two Chinese guys had insisted on escorting me to the toilet, and between the three of us, we twisted, prized and pulled me back onto the bank. After that, I just opened the front door and pissed out into the river. John had promised me Guinness in the touristy area called Singpu. Very exciting but our rosters were very different. I never really knew mine and his school went for 10 days straight and then had four off. It took several weeks until we could synchronize our schedules. 
Although it was autumn, it was still very hot in the middle of the day, and the bar he took me to had turned off the fridges to save electricity. The prospect of hot, canned Guinness was not exciting, and nowhere else was open until the evening, so the trip was surprisingly sober, but not entirely wasted, as after John's guided tour, I was able to find my own way around the fun spots on the many, many other excursions to lots and lots of other Singpu bars in the months to come. My favourite being Enjoy Bar, where the Guinness was cool and plentiful. The pool table was free, and I met a truly extraordinary woman named Elena. But more about her later. When I first arrived, Ganyu appeared to exist within a constant cloud a lot of which was dust. Both the school and my apartment were down an alley, less than a hundred metres from the main street, Huanghai Lu, Yellow Sea Road. Funnily enough, my last school was on Huanghai Lu, Yellow River Road. Spooky. The sidewalks of Huanghai Lu were being dustily destroyed and repaved, block by block, by an army of what I imagine you might still call coolies. Some of them even wore those pointy round hats. As soon as the new pavements were in place, people started parking and driving on them again, so they were broken in a matter of days. The authorities also introduced a metal fence, bolted down the centre of the road, presumably to keep the opposing traffic flows separate. In fact, it just meant half the vehicles going in either direction could be found on either side of the fence. That lasted a week or two until a platoon of police appeared and forced people to synchronise side and direction. Mostly. This new barrier was viewed as an uncalled-for inconvenience by residents, who first took offence, then took the fence. Well, bits of it. Almost overnight, lengths of the metal barrier disappeared at popular crossing and turning places, although drivers had to be careful making their turns now because the DIYers had soared through the legs, leaving tyre-popping, short, sharp steel spikes still bolted into the tarmac. Despite that poor workmanship, I admired their initiative, and I reckon some nearby veggie plots suddenly had lovely new railings. But the ever-present cloud wasn't only dust, a lot of it was smoke. For the first month or so, families celebrated sending their children off to university with large parties accompanied by extravagant firework displays. Next to the school, almost directly opposite my flat, was a hugely popular restaurant which specialised in firework feasts. The noise was incredible and many of the rockets rose precisely to the third floor, exactly level with my living room window, before exploding. The first one inevitably scaring the living crap out of me. It became inordinately annoying to be watching a DVD or internet TV, arrive at a vital plot point and have to hit pause and suffer the bangs, whistles, whirs, whizzes and pops of the recreational incendiaries, along with the oohs, ahs and applause of onlookers. The noise was deafening. 
you couldn't have heard someone yelling in your ear, so wearing earphones was a waste of time. And it always seemed to happen when somebody said something like, but that means the murderer must be bang! After a few weeks, the freshman students had all been farewelled, so the displays became less constant, which was actually worse, because now they were more of a surprise when they did go off, still three, four, five times a day. I'd always loved fireworks, but soon sincerely hoped to never see, or more importantly hear, another. My contract specified three hours a week of non-teaching duties, which at first involved trying to drum up business for Aston by distributing flyers outside the public primary school several blocks away. Many, many thousands of children would decant into the streets to go home for lunch with the many, many thousands of parents and grandparents waiting to pick them up. The crowd was overwhelming. I'd find myself a spot with my back to a tree or a wall and let the surging masses flow past me, thrusting a leaflet into the hand of anyone who stopped to stare. Everybody stared, but only a few stopped. On Saturdays and or Sundays, I'd teach a couple of classes at the same school, but it was then almost completely empty. Only a few dozen kids spread out among a few classrooms. At first, those classes were uniquely difficult in that cranes and bulldozers were spending the weekend destroying the school building next door. Approximately 10 metres outside the classroom window, major demolition work was underway on a four-storey building with eight classrooms on each floor. It wasn't just the incredible noise that made things so difficult. The dust was phenomenal and probably carcinogenic. One sunny day, the heavy machinery finally stopped. I couldn't believe my luck. I could finally stop shouting. Then there was a relatively small explosion and what was left of the building collapsed upon itself. Our classroom windows were pelted with debris. None of them broke, fortunately and a cloud of filthy grey powder billowed as far as I could see, which very quickly was not very far. I was stunned, but after several moments of choking and coughing, the students all reached into their school bags, dug out face masks and put them on, then sat back down and waited for me to continue. After the building collapsed, the quiet of the lessons was only broken by the cries of victory from the dozens of elderly people plundering the rubble. They shouted out when they found something valuable or needed help extracting copper wire or some other metal or any worthwhile loot. As I was rostered to teach at Aston, the primary school and another two-room school referred to as another Aston, Summer gave me the use of an electric bike to travel between locations. This bike was tiny, ugly, black, and very, very slow. So I named it The Ganyu Flash. To be fair, The Ganyu Flash 
hadn't been designed to carry a rider of my proportions. But then again, I'd seen whole families on similar bikes, and surely together they'd weigh as much as I did. Sure. Probably. Right after recharge, the Ganyu Flash would have a bit more oomph. But within half an hour, I'd be tooling along at little more than walking speed, being passed by school kids on push bikes and nanas on tricycles. When I'd first arrived in China, I'd been scared to walk across the street. So it's amazing to me now that I brave the traffic chaos with such equanimity, in fact, enthusiasm. I mean, it's not like I was in an armored car or even a four wheel drive. I was riding a ludicrously small and underpowered electric bicycle with no helmet, no leathers, no protection whatsoever. Definitely a symptom of my increasing dementia. And another symptom was that I couldn't see that at the time. In my mind, I'd merely realized that the whole apparently random perilous exercise was, in fact, a giant multiplayer game of chicken. You attempted whatever you thought you might get away with. If you succeeded, great. If you didn't, there was no loss of face. You just tried something else. I therefore just did whatever seemed like the most fun at that moment. Finding the swarms of bicycles, tricycles and motorbikes more difficult to predict than the cars, I'd head straight into oncoming traffic for a faster trip. Cars are expensive things and drivers have no desire to dent or scratch them, not even to have to wash blood off them. As long as I kept a constant velocity with clear direction, I was safe enough. Or at least, that's what I told myself. Another way to make sure my intentions were clear to other road and pavement users was to scream helpful phrases like, get out of the way, you stupid cockhead, at the top of my voice. I also offered heartfelt advice to riders who seemed unsure of their next move, often demonstrating the efficacy of my suggestion by shoving them in my chosen direction. The hardest part was remembering that for most intents and purposes, there are no road rules there. I mean, you could be fairly sure that motorists would stop at a red light. Scooters hardly ever would. You couldn't read the intentions of other drivers or riders in their eyes because they would never look at you. If they acknowledged your existence, they might have to give way to you or something. And that was not going to happen. I don't want to give the impression that the Ganyu Flash and I had it easy. I would rarely make it to another school or the supermarket without at least one near-death experience, usually due to some moron performing a simply inexplicable manoeuvre, something pointless and impossible to anticipate. But I never actually fell off and only suffered minor prangs with no resulting injury or real damage. I once had to brake so sharply that most of my weight went forward onto the handlebars, which immediately collapsed, and even when repositioned, continued to collapse at surprising and inconvenient moments. In the next episode of Party in China, more Westerners arrive in Ganyu, and we form quite the gang. By day, we teach English as a foreign language. By night, we solve crimes. Well... 
that's not true. I'm Party Parslow. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.